As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Sometimes life seems so chaotic that our grip on sanity seems rather precarious. So we turn to coping mechanisms. Some of us cry, others yell, some clean. At least that's something we can control in situations that seem at times uncontrollable. In modern times, as a way to cope, we tend to just avoid altogether dwelling on dark realities of an unknown future and focus on the present. We're afraid of what we don't know and what we don't understand. Shakespeare's Hamlet speaks of how we would rather bear those ills we have than fly to others that we know not of, because what if it's worse? Sometimes we laugh when anxious fears creep in. We create fake fears in order to poke fun at the real ones. We talk about FOMO, fear of missing out, so we forget about fears of neglect abandonment, pain. We laugh to keep from crying, the psychological salve of a smile, but sometimes smiles aren't possible, or worse, they aren't enough. They certainly aren't enough to eliminate the darkness of our story today. The demons in it are too powerful, whether they're the demons of depression, the demons of mind and life-altering drugs, or literal demons vying for the souls of a young family. Was it misfortune? Was it a curse? Or was it pure evil that couldn't be held at bay? This is the story of the Jameson family. Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. And my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the cases will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, because, as we all know, conversation helps to keep the missing person in the public consciousness, helping keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. Before we begin our show today, Maggie and I want to issue you listeners another challenge. So you guys were so super awesome at getting us to 15 written comments on iTunes and you did it so quickly that we want to up the ante. This is a lofty goal. We're not going to lie. It's going to take a bit. I'm a little scared. But if anybody can do it, you guys can. We want 150 ratings on iTunes. We're currently at 67. So we're aiming to more than double that. It literally only takes a split second. If you are listening to us on iTunes, just take a second and click that five-star rating. We have listeners from all over the world, including a growing listenership in Sweden. So while this is a big ask, 
We think that you guys can do it. It may take a little longer than last time, but once we get to that 150, we will do another bonus episode. So just make sure to follow us on social media, Coffee and Cases Podcast on Facebook, or at Coffee Cases Podcast on Instagram, and then you can always listen in weekly, and we'll let you know when that episode will air. Now, Maggie, let's get into our show today. The Jameson family, made up of 44-year-old Bobby, 40-year-old Sherilyn, and 6-year-old Madison, were looking for a change of scenery from their lakefront home in Eufaula, Oklahoma in October of 2009. The family unit had recently changed when Sherilyn's son Colton, from her previous marriage, had decided to move back in with his father in Oklahoma City. As a result of Colton's move, the family was struggling a bit more financially. So he helped, like, pay bills and things? No, but Sherilyn had been receiving child support each month. And so with that additional help gone, the family was facing this mounting difficulty in paying the bills, and they needed to get back on track financially. And they must have felt like they needed to get back on track emotionally and physically as well, Maggie. You see, one of the reasons they struggled was because both Bobby and Sherilyn were on disability. Bobby had been involved in a serious car accident in 2003 that injured his back. Because of this injury, Bobby was in constant pain, which left him feeling depressed especially since it's reported that he couldn't even walk around their house without feeling intense pain. Wow. Right, so this is... So that's bad. Exactly. In addition to the physical pain, Bobby was dealing with some weighty family struggles as well. According to some reports, when Bobby was younger, his father, Bob Sr., used to pull Bobby out of school to help him at the gas station that Bob Sr. owned. And he had led Bobby to believe that half of the profit from that gas station would be his because he'd worked there so often. Yeah. Right? But when Bobby got nothing, he decided to fight for his legal right to it. Can you do that? Yeah. So he decided to take his father to court. And according to Bobby's mother and Bobby Sr.'s wife of 40 years, Starlet, she said that Bobby's father would threaten the family often. And when she and Bob Sr. split up, she actually moved in with Bobby and Sherilyn for a short time. And both Starlet and Bobby and Sherilyn at least thought that Bob Sr. was potentially dangerous because they both installed security cameras outside of their homes. Yeah, that's a little extreme, I feel like, for your dad. Right. So, but at least, I mean, they know him Proactive, better than anybody. I guess. Right? And Bobby had actually filed a civil suit and a restraining order against his father. According to an article by Andrew Niddle, Bobby said that on November 1st, 2008, his father had, quote, hit him with his vehicle. Oh, my God. Yeah, so this is, again, this is not a positive father-son relationship. And also, he wrote the following in the petition to the courts, quote, my entire family is severely afraid for their lives. I am in fear at all times, end quote. But Maggie, the protective order, after the judge heard the testimony of everyone, was ultimately dismissed. Really? Yeah. Even though they installed cameras, they were so scared, and his entire family was scared, the judge still dismissed it. Right. And I'm thinking... You know, it didn't hit me until just now. They're struggling financially, and security cameras cost money. Yeah. And so they would have to at least be scared enough that they're willing to spend this extra money that That they they don't don't have. have. Yeah, on these cameras. Well, this judgment, it only seemed to fuel Bobby's view of his father as, according to that same article by Andrew Niddle, quote, a very dangerous man who thinks he is above the law, end quote. And it kind of seems like it. Yeah, it seems like he gets away with anything. And Maggie, Bobby wasn't the only one who'd been dealing with personal trauma. Connie Coquitin, Sherilyn's mother, has noted that in 2007, her other daughter, Marla, Sherilyn's sister, and her best friend had been stung on the tongue by a bee and died. Out of all the ways to go. Yeah, to be stung on the so tongue random. by a bee. Anywhere you could get stung, it's on your tongue and right. you're going to die. Right. You know, one time I went to an amusement park and 
when I came home, my lip was really swollen. And I didn't know why. I mean, when I say swollen, like hugely swollen. And my mom took me to the emergency room and they said that when I was at this amusement park and like drinking, I guess, a, the juice out of a snow cone or whatever it was, that it was a spider bite. <gasps> so somehow <sighs> the spider had bit my lip. Yep. <sighs> Yep. So, I mean, this is obviously a tragic death and a sudden one, you know, and it sent Sherilyn into a deep depression because this was her best friend. Yeah, and, her sister. and so quick. And in fact, her mother reported, quote, she, Sherilyn, would spend days up in her room. She was very depressed and had to take medication. And, you know, I feel like it's easy to see how that kind of loss can lead to depression. I teach a text called The Epic of Gilgamesh to my students, and this is, I mean, this is a text that's so ancient that it predates Egyptian hieroglyphics. This was this on... This particular text. This was on my Praxis content exam, it The was. Epic of Gilgamesh. Yeah. Well, I think one of the reasons why this text has been so popular and has stood the test of time is because in it, Gilgamesh loses his best friend and his brother... And at first, he doesn't want to let him go when his brother dies. Mm -hmm. And once he does, Gilgamesh has to go on this journey to find himself again. And he gets to this dark valley. And it's, it's this valley, Maggie. It's so dark that he can't see where he's going and he can't see his hand in front of his face. But he keeps going, thinking it's going to get better. But it's still so dark that he can't see where he's going. And he can't see his hand in front of his face. And he keeps going. And again, it's the same thing, right? He can't see where he's going. He can't see his hand in front of his face. And if that's not like depression, yeah. I don't know what is. And eventually he lets out this great cry, wondering when this pain is going to go away, right? Because he can't see where he's going and he can't see his hand in front of his face. He keeps going. The darkness surrounds him still until eventually he sees like this tiny pinhole of light. And it's only after this long while that he feels the sun on his face again. And to me, that is grief. Like, that's the grief we've all felt. I felt it when my grandmother passed away. Yeah, this right. whole thing, when you were reading this, I just thought of when my brother passed away. Like, that's such a good description right. of how I felt. And it's so hard to get through it. Yeah, it feels so heavy. Yeah, and... I feel like that's how Sherilyn had to feel over the loss of her sister. Yeah. And as if these stressors weren't enough, Maggie, there were even more things that had happened recently that led the family to desire a relocation to the mountains. The wilderness, really. Bobby had recently made a report to the police about a meth lab in the area. So I can only imagine that he wanted, you know, to move to a safer place to raise his little girl, Madison. There had also recently been an incident at Madison's kindergarten in class where Madison's two front teeth were knocked out. Oh my God, what kind of kindergarten class I is know. this? I know. So, you know, they were kind of angry at the school. And after that, I read in a lot of accounts that Bobby and Sherilyn had begun homeschooling her to keep her safe. But times were tough. And with the little income that they had trickling in, the legal battles. Yeah, because that's not cheap to take your dad to court. Right. The loss of this child support that Sherilyn had been getting. And when they decided to homeschool Madison, they were kind of worried about, like, how is she going to handle not being around friends and not having kind of that communication yeah. and interaction. And so they had bought her a new puppy named Maisie. Aww. And again, dogs cost a lot of money. Yes, they do. I know firsthand my dog's epileptic and we shell the money out every month. Right. And so, I mean, the Jameson family, they were kind of left threadbare. And to top it all, in order to bring in more money, the Jamesons had taken in a border. Oh no, that kind of scares me. I don't like that too. kind of stuff. I know, because I feel like my home is my home and I don't yeah. really, like... And I feel like I would have to, like, keep it super clean all the time. Oh, yeah. Or, like, oh, that would never yeah, happen. No. I would struggle. But the man who they had taken in as a boarder was soon driven away from their home at gunpoint by Sherilyn when the man said he hated anyone who wasn't white and started using racial slurs. 
Well, as a Native American, Sherilyn was not going to allow that kind of hatred in her home, and especially not around her daughter. Yeah, um, like, I just feel like there's no place for that no. in the world, ever. N- never. So, I think it's pretty obvious why there was this impetus to get out of this seemingly toxic environment. Yeah, bye. I mean, there's a lot that's going on right now mm-hmm. in all of their lives. According to an article by Phil Cross on OKCFox.com, the Jamesons had gone to Panola Mountain outside of Red Oak to look at a 40-acre plot. Now, I'm guessing because it was on a mountain that it wasn't, like, quote-unquote prime land yeah, that so would cost too a lot. Expensive. Right. So the family owned this large storage container, and based on several accounts that I read, Maggie, they planned on living in it in the San Bios Mountains. So, like, a storage container that you can move. I'm picturing, like, those things that people, like, deliver to your house, and they leave it there, and you fill it up, and then when you're ready to move, That's they come pick it up. That's what I'm picturing, too. Yeah. You're going to so, live in but it? But again, I mean, if you're... Is it insulated? Does I it mean, have a bathroom? Uh, I guess you just go out in the woods. Oh, no. This is why I don't camp, because, yeah. no, i got to have a toilet. Well, let me tell you, Maggie, and, you know, like, almost every... This just shouldn't teach everybody. <laughs> don't like fishing or camping because then this bad stuff ends it's up avoidable. happening to you. Yeah. Right? Like, just... Just avoid that. All of these stories, they end up liking these things and we, we'll be stuck home reading a book and... And we're fine. That's right. <laughs> we're living. Yeah. Um, but this kind of roughing it, from what I read, was right up Bobby's alley. Colton, Sherilyn's son, remember from her the previous one that marriage. Had, yeah. Mm-hmm. He reported that Bobby not only grew up in the country, that he, quote, knew nature. So he's the kind I'm imagining who can, like, tell you what kind of tree this is and which mushrooms you can eat and that sort of thing. Well, I mean, I feel like I grew up relatively, quote, unquote, country. Right. Me too. Like, I can tell you, like, different types of trees and stuff like that from my grandpa, but I still want to have running water. <laughs> you want to have a toilet. Yeah. I need a refrigerator to put my Nestle Pure Life in. <laughs> like, hello. The necessities. Yeah. Well, they had already been to this prospective property one time, and they were going to look at it again. Only this time, none of them came home. It was the discovery of their abandoned truck eight days later that led to more confusion. What was left inside of that truck made it appear that the family had just stepped away and could return at any moment. But, of course, Maggie, (laughs) I'm telling their story, so we know that that is not what happened. In this abandoned truck were their jackets, their cell phones, Sherilyn's purse, Hmm. Bobby's wallet, and so their IDs. Madison's dog, Maisie, starved nearly to death, and oh, this makes me so sad, surviving only by eating her own excrement. And there was one extremely surprising final item, an envelope containing $32,000 in cash. Okay, so immediately I'm like, Cell phone. You don't leave that behind no. if you go somewhere. No. Your ID. My dad has always taught me, anytime you go somewhere, take a photo ID. Right. Okay, so you're not going to leave that behind. My dog, definitely not going to leave her behind. $32,000 right. in cash. That's staying on me. Yes. Right. No, that's never going to be by itself. Right. Well, some speculate whether the family had been forced from their truck Right, which would explain yeah, why they left, why it they all left everything. But there was no evidence of force nor struggle. And also, why would it be locked? Right. And had they been forced out, why would there still be an envelope containing such a large amount of cash just left behind by whoever forced yeah. them out? You'd think they would have taken that. And the dog. Or yeah, and why leave the, the little dog, dog Or at least let it out. Yeah. Well, taking a different approach, the Latimer County Sheriff is reported to have thought initially that the truck was stolen. Again, why leave the money? I mean, true. And according to an article for News 9 by Dan Bewley, 
the Latimer County Sheriff's Office had spent a million dollars in searching for the Jamesons on horseback, with cadaver dogs, with drones, and they had come up empty-handed each time. Wow, that's extensive. Yeah, they, they spent a lot of money searching for the Jamesons. And the FBI had been brought in to question potential suspects, but they had also only met with dead ends. And Maggie, there have been no arrests made in their disappearance and no named suspects. Have we found bodies? I'm going to get to that. Okay. In total, based on the information in Dan Bewley's article, law enforcement spent 39 days on the mountain and followed up on countless tips but are no closer to solving the mystery than they were back in 2009. Also found in the truck, I didn't mention this a minute ago, was an 11-page letter from Sherilyn to her husband, Bobby, that was dripping with anger and, to some, hatred. So maybe she had something to do with it? Well, that is one theory, but Sherilyn's neighbor and friend Nikki reports, though, that riding with Sherilyn's therapy, that she loved Bobby more than anything, but riding down her frustrations was Sherilyn's way of controlling those emotions and overpowering Okay, we kind of talked about that last week. Yeah. Riding being an escape for some people. Right. Now, it does seem weird to me that she would have it here in the letter, but I mean... If that's what she needs to be able to get it out, to not take it out or lash out, you know. That's her healthy way of expressing it. Right. But Maggie, I've told you what's in the truck. I haven't even told you yet what's missing from the truck. Oh. Based upon video captured by the security cameras that the Jamesons had installed, We know that Sherilyn and Bobby had loaded many of their belongings into the truck, including a brown suitcase. A suitcase that, while we don't know what was inside, was never discovered. Also missing was something that Sherilyn's mother said that Sherilyn never left home without. Her 22 caliber pistol. Gone. So, both of which I feel like... With the extensive searching that went on, they would recover those. I would think. I would think. Four whole years passed before, on November 16th, 2013, the remains of two adults and one child were discovered by hunters three miles from where their truck had been abandoned. All that remained after such a long stretch of time, after being exposed to the elements and after scavenging animals, were their skulls, a single arm and leg bone, teeth, and a single shoe. As you can imagine, an article published by the Associated Press and published by Public Radio Tulsa tells us, quote, agency spokeswoman Amy Elliott says the cause and the manner of death is unknown. And because quote, how could they know? Right. Th- there's barely there's anything nothing there. left. There was also a small hole in the back of Bobby's skull. Now, this could have been degraded by time to cause this small hole, or, as some speculate, Maybe it was caused by a bullet hole. Ah. What was peculiar, though, was the placement of the bodies, face down and side by side. Weird. Like a mass grave site or a ritual killing. And because of this placement, one theory of what happened to the Jameson family is often dismissed, that they simply walked away. Yeah, no, I don't think that happened at all. Yeah, I don't either. And as stated in Phil Cross's article about the Jameson family disappearance, even family and friends of the Jamesons, they question. And they say, if they walked away, who would walk away and leave $32,000 in cash That's in your vehicle? That's what I'm saying. Right? And in an article by Graham Noble, quote, investigators inquired into the Jamesons' past And there doesn't appear to be any signs that they were in trouble or looking to start a new life. Oh, to like try to change their identity. Right, or something like that. that. Well, Starlet, remember that is Bobby's mom, 
questioned this theory also, but she questioned it because of the distance of the bodies from the abandoned truck. She reminds us that they were found three miles from the truck, and that is as the crow flies. On the ground, she said, and through the woods, it would have been double. And this walk from Bobby, whose back hurt so badly that he couldn't even walk around his own home without feeling extreme pain. True. Right? Good so, point. Yeah, I think that's a great point. So that seems to show that that theory. Yeah. Next. You know, yeah. But most obviously is the question that Sherilyn's mother, Connie, has of this theory. Quote, if that happened, then why were they lying face down altogether like that? And why did they leave the dog in the car? Madison loved that dog and didn't go anywhere without it. She wouldn't have just left it in the car, end quote. So this little girl going to be ripped away, like just walk away and leave your dog in yeah, the car that just you just got? No. Yeah, Again, I'm with you, Maggie. I don't think that that makes a whole lot of sense. No. Like I'm shaking my head. Everything you're reading, right, I'm like, right. no. No. A second theory is that they'd wandered onto this plot of land, potentially scoping it out for a place, you know, to put their storage building, and maybe they had gotten lost. Okay. Right? And then as the temperature dropped, they had succumbed to the bitter cold, and they had died from hypothermia. And what time of year again was this? This is October. However, again... I think we need to question the distance. That's a long trek to make to, quote, scope out the land. Yeah. And through, again, wilderness. It's not like a, With flat, a, piece of, a flat piece of land. This is like mountainous, correct? Right. So that just, again, this isn't making a lot of sense to me. It's not no. adding up. And those who suspect foul play, they point out not only the potential bullet hole in Bobby's skull, but also the fact that, as Sherilyn's son Colton has stated, Bobby grew up in the country, remember? Actually, Colton says, quote, proper country. Didn't know that was a thing, but okay. And that he would have known what he was doing out in nature. Remember, he knew nature. So this whole explanation that they got lost... Not plausible. Yeah, and Colton argued that there was, no quote, no way he would have gotten them lost like that. But if not those explanations, then what? The first suspect for law enforcement had actually been the border, whom Sherilyn had driven away at gunpoint. Yeah, crazy man. Right? But he had a solid alibi. Others wonder if Bob Sr. had stayed true to his promise to kill Bobby and his family. Again, crazy man. Yeah, and several sources that I read stated that because Bob Sr. was wealthy and an angry man, that he was a real threat. And, and I read this in a lot of reports, Maggie, it said that he was heavily involved with guns, prostitutes, gangs, and even that he had ties with the Mexican mafia. Oh, wow. So he's definitely someone you don't want to mess with. Yeah, don't wrong him. But Bob Sr. died two months after Bobby, Sherilyn, and Madison disappeared. So we may never know more about that theory. A third theory revolves around drugs. Either that Bobby and Sherilyn were involved in the consumption of meth, or that they happened upon a scene that they shouldn't have. In the middle of the woods? Yes. Well, before we started our episode today, I showed you the video from the Jameson family security camera of them loading their truck. Right. A video that we'll post for you sleuth hounds on Facebook and on our YouTube channel. Maggie, how would you describe Bobby and Sherilyn in this video? It's really weird because you can tell they're carrying stuff to his truck, but they're just passing each other and not speaking to each other. And I think like when Anthony and I moved, I would be like, okay, the back seat's full. You need to put whatever right. that is in the trunk. Where do you think this would fit? Things like that. Some and they're form just, of communication. Yeah, and they're just like in a trance, just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I think that's interesting that you use the word trance because many investigators, according to Phil Cross's article, have used the adjective, quote, dazed to describe their movements, which to them could indicate drug use. It kind of does look like that a little, I think. Yeah. And the bizarre behavior combined with the $32,000 found in the truck has led to increasing support for this theory that the Jamesons were involved in a drug deal. Right, because how many people just have $32,000 in cash just 
lying around somewhere. Nobody I've ever known. Or like could easily go to the bank and draw out $32,000 in cash. Right. But family members argue that Bobby and Sherilyn were both clean, and they point out that no drugs nor drug paraphernalia was found in the Jameson home to indicate that they were using. And I have to admit, I mean, that's a valid claim. Unless they packed it all up. But, I mean, I feel like there would be something in the truck. True. Good point. Right? In their home. Somewhere. What their family members believe happened is that they stumbled upon a meth lab and were murdered to silence them. So you said, like, in the woods, right? That was your big question. Well, Starlet noted in an interview that there were actually a lot of meth labs in that area of the mountain range. And remember, Maggie, Bobby had just recently called the police to report a meth lab in his current hometown. Wasn't that part of the reason they were leaving, though, to go somewhere safer? Right. And then... And so you're going to move in next door? I mean, good point. But I feel like, number one, if you are using drugs, you're probably not going to call the police to report a meth lab. True. Right? That's number one. But number two, what if whoever owned that meth lab knew these other people in the mountains and kind of sent them there to get Bobby. Yeah. To, like, get him back. Good point. So could there have been somebody who just isolated and then murdered the family? And this idea of danger from an outside source also manifests itself in the next theory, Maggie. Even though the border had a solid alibi, this theory is that a white supremacist group was behind their deaths. One small detail linked to this theory is related to the dogs used in the search. Now, I will say that I only saw this noted in a single source, but it reported that the dogs didn't track the family's scent into the woods where the family's bones were found. Okay. But it tracked to a water tank. And that this water tank was then drained, but revealed nothing. And so the, we're back to water tanks. This exactly, week. we're back to Alyssa Lamb. Yeah. Well, this source that I read, it discussed the fact that these dogs actually track adrenaline and stress hormones related to fear. Which oh, I didn't I, know that. I didn't either. And that's what this one article I read said. So what this detail seems to indicate to me, at least, is that the family had been maybe driven to the area in the woods where their remains were found because the dogs didn't track them there. So I'm wondering exactly how wooded this would be because like I'm picturing woods in eastern Kentucky where like you're walking on foot or you need like a four-wheeler to get around Mm -hmm. and I'm wondering if that's how this was or if like a truck could have or a car could have got there to dump their bodies. Well let me show you a picture. Okay so now that you see the picture Maggie what's going through your head so you can okay clearly you can drive there because his truck is there Mm -hmm. and we see that in the picture Mm -hmm. but this is like super mountainous terrain yes so i mean you're gonna have to have if you're driving in it one there's gonna have to be a cleared path and Mm -hmm. like very much like cluttered trees Mm mm-hmm and you would have to know where you're going. Yeah, you'd have to know where you're going, and you're going to have to have something that has, like, a four-wheel drive. Yes. Yeah, because you could easily get stuck. Well, another detail, though, that seems to indicate that someone else was in the woods with the Jamesons is linked to the final picture ever taken of Madison alive. Remember that Bobby's cell phone was found in the truck. Right. Right? Well, on that phone was this final picture of Madison, but... When this picture was shown to Connie, Sherilyn's mom, Nikki, Sherilyn's neighbor and friend, and Starlet, Bobby's mother, all of them reacted the same way. That this was a little girl in distress. Ew, I got chills. Connie specifically noted, quote, in the picture, Madison is looking away from the camera. She looks unhappy and she has her arms crossed. She loved having her picture taken, and if that had been Bobby or Sherilyn behind the camera, she would have not looked like that. Oh, that's creepy. I know. Well, Maggie, here is that picture and a picture of her a few months earlier, and we'll post these on our page for you sleuthhounds to see as well. Now, obviously the family, they know Madison, and I don't, but... I'm not convinced necessarily that I see fear in the picture so much as just like a 
handed shot. Yeah, when you showed me the picture of her, like, posing for the camera, I think, obviously, you can clearly tell somebody's like, say cheese, right. and she's, like, smiling. Right. And that one looks like she was just talking to somebody, and her picture was snapped. Like, it doesn't look like somebody saying, like, look at the camera and smile, and she's, like, grimacing or something. Right. It's just, like, like her body's not even in the direction of the camera right. to make you think that somebody was trying to take a post picture of her. Mm-hmm. It but, just looks candid. I mean, maybe that's why, though, the family felt like, because in the other, yeah. she is kind of cheesy to the camera. Yeah. I, I mean, don't. I don't know. Anthony catches me in all kinds of really weird, candid photos. There's, like, one in particular that, of course, he put on his Facebook because <laughs> why would you not? <laughs> um, of me with no makeup on at the Mexican restaurant, like, halfway chip halfway to my mouth like <laughs> dripping with cheese <laughs> it's really flattering right so, I mean it could have it could be I think a candid photo just like that one but what I can't explain is the phone call that Sherilyn's friend Nikki received from an anonymous woman claiming that a white supremacist group had killed the family in an interview with Fox 25, as cited in Phil Cross's article, Nikki says the woman told her the following, quote, she saw a book that had a bunch of names in it. They were names of people that someone in the group had a problem with and needed them taken care of. What? Quote. That's a thing? Apparently. Oh, no, ma'am. I think of... Is it Billy Madison when he calls Steve Buscemi's character from high school and, like, apologizes and he, like, crosses his name off of the kill list? I just right? think of, like, Mean Girls when they have that burn book <laughs> and they write everybody's name down that they have a problem right. with. Well, apparently this is a real thing. Well, then, Maggie, it gets even worse because the woman said she tried to look up the names that she remembered from the book and that they usually showed up as missing persons. No creepy. Yeah. And the woman, according to Nikki, knew things that most people wouldn't. She knew about an engraving in Bobby's wedding ring. So that seems to me something that, like, who's going to know that? So the lady that called... This anonymous woman... Knew about Bobby's engraving in his wedding ring. Yes. Said that she overheard members of this white supremacist group talking. I mean... I don't even know what to say. That's creepy. That creeps me out that this happened. I know. And Nikki also argues that if you watch that security footage a little bit more closely, and actually, I'll go ahead and tell you listeners, Maggie noticed this. I did. First time. But if you look a little bit more closely, you will see a third person, a man with Bobby and Sherilyn. And Nikki says most people assume that it's Bobby and he had just changed shirts during the move from a no. white one to a brown one. But Maggie was like, there's another person there. Who's that other person? Yep, and it's clear as day. Even I think he looks taller than Bobby. Kind His hair bigger. looks different. Yeah. Well, Not Nikki argues that this is a different person, just like you said, Maggie, and that Bobby's actually sitting in the truck when this other man appears. So she says where Bobby has on a white shirt, you can kind of see Oh, like the through glare. the window. Mm-hmm. And Nikki questions, were there movements even before they went to the mountain being controlled? So was this man part of that group or, and I hate to do this to you, Maggie, could the explanation be linked to something supernatural? Yes. <laughs> Maggie was ready for Always. That now, the first supernatural theory is a little bit far-fetched, but there's this theory, and I'd never heard about this before, related to the 35th degree north latitude, and it is called the Line of Tragedy. Have you ever heard of that? No, but now I'm definitely going to try to avoid the 35th degree north latitude (laughs) line. Yeah, like plan your trip. Wait, Anthony, are we we passing through? Let's not take that route. (laughs) Well, basically this theory is that that particular latitudinal line is cursed. Okay, I'm not going to lie. There's a map above us right now, and I'm just going to look at the 35th. Oh, Oh, is it Tennessee? Yeah. Oh, 
It's in Tennessee. Oh my. Okay, so it's it's below us. Okay. We don't have to we don't have to but see it going through Oklahoma. Yeah, there right it is. Right there. Well, this theory is that that latitudinal line is cursed. That some of the worst tragedies in history all occurred at places that fall on this 35 degree line. Among those tragedies, according to an article by Brent Swanser, are Andrea Yates. She was the mom in Houston who suffered from postpartum depression and drowned all five of her children. I'm still looking at the map while she's thinking of them. Yes, the Unabomber bombing site. I saw his cabin. Did I tell you this? No. When we went to um, Washington, D.C., it's in one of the museums we went to. It's creepy. Yeah. And the murder of Pastor Carol Daniels, who I'd never heard of, but she was mutilated and her body propped up in a crucifix position. Oh. And Maggie added to those... The place where Bobby, Sherilyn, and Madison disappeared also falls on that 35-degree line. Yeah, I know. Now, I mean, I don't know a lot about cartography. Yeah, I'm not a map maker. I mean, I didn't verify that this theory could be true. What I'm more likely to believe is that the curse was much more personal demons in the Jameson's own home. And here we are again. Here we are again, right? The week things after we're week. terrified yeah. of. We get to talk about them all the time. Soon after their disappearance, the Jameson's pastor in Eufaula, Gary Brandon, came forward with information that shortly before their disappearance, Bobby became convinced that his home was haunted. No. Well, Maggie, in fact, Bobby said that he frequently saw, and I quote, two to four spirits on the roof, end quote. I don't know. (laughs) You're going to be so scared. And he wasn't the only one. As noted in Graham Noble's article, Missing Oklahoma Family Demons and Drugs, Sherilyn had told the pastor that both she and little Madison had seen the spirits in the house as well. I just want you to know, I have to stay at work really late tonight. And when <laughs> I call so my mom, I'm going to be like, sorry. Or when I leave, I'm going to be calling my mom, Mom. Right? <laughs> well, and this is so creepy to me, Maggie, but apparently Sherilyn thought that the spirits of dead family members were living with them in their home and that Madison would speak frequently with one ghost of a young child. Sherilyn apparently thought that she could exercise demons and that I read in a lot of different articles and they said different things, but that they had purchased either a satanic Bible, yes, or a witch's Bible to consult to help rid the home of evil presence. Okay, first off, I feel like that's bringing it in. Yeah, you don't buy a satanic Bible to get rid of evil presence in your house. (laughs) That does the opposite. Why don't you just go ahead and put your Ouija board next to your satanic Bible? Yeah, exactly. How about instead Mm. you call somebody with some holy water? Yeah, call a priest. With a a crucifix. Yeah. And the Bible Bible, right, to get this Mm, evil presence out. Did I tell you that I think I saw a ghost once? No. Yeah, so um, in the old house that I grew up in before we got, like, our new house, it was super old. My grandma, actually my great-grandma, so my dad's grandma, lived there before we did, Mm -hmm. and she died in the house. And there was one night that I was watching TV because I didn't have TV in my room, so I was in the living room, and I vividly remember sitting on the floor in front of one of those TVs that, like, looked like furniture. Yeah. You remember those? Mm -hmm. And, like, a lady walked out of my bedroom, which was my grandma's room, and she had on, like, a long dress and, like, an apron tied around and her hair in a bun, and she just, like, turned at me like turned to me, smiled and waved at me and oh then walked gosh. into the I kitchen. I have goosebumps. I swear, I remember this. And the next day my I woke my dad up that morning and was like, Hey, um, I think I saw a ghost last night and like I was telling him about it and he was like, That was your mamma. Oh. And he my said goodness. he had seen her too. But she smiled and it was my grandma. So, so it's like Casper. Like yeah, friendly so friendly. Ghost. Yeah. And then I never saw her Ooh. again. Well, here's what's scary about the Jameson family. Around the home, there were odd messages found as well. For example, on a container outside of their home was scrawled the following quote, 
three cats killed to date by, B-U-Y, people in this area. Witches don't like their, T-H-E-R-E, black cats killed. Now, their neighbor, Nikki, claims that Sherilyn herself had written those to scare off some of the neighbors or neighborhood kids, whoever she thought was poisoning her cats. Oh, you best not poison my cat. A real witch is going to come out if you poison my cat. And so she said, Nikki said, well, she just did this to try to kind of scare them away. And Nikki says that they had purchased witches' Bibles as a joke, which, again, again, that is not a joking matter. No. Nor, Maggie, are some of the other elements that I'm getting ready to tell you. Oh, no. Number one... Also written around the home, not obviously to scare neighbors. Like inside because their house? Inside the house. So it's seemingly for the family were notes like, quote, get out Satan. So it seems to me that they did think these spirits were Evil? demons, right? Yeah. Not they don't friendly wave. ones. No, they don't smile and wave. Number two, Connie, Sherilyn's mom, tells us that Sherilyn called herself a witch. And told her mother that the house was haunted. That she thought maybe it was constructed on top of an Indian burial ground. Okay, so I think if you're calling yourself a witch and you have a witch's Bible, telling your pastor that you think your house is haunted is a little... Like, what's the word I'm looking for there? Like, that doesn't make sense. How can you be a witch and talk to your pastor about demon... like? And I, I will be the first to admit, I don't understand, like, the Wiccan religion. Yeah, I don't either. So I don't get how it works. I don't know if there's, like, a contact with the spirit world or if that's something different. So when I we say pastor, though, we're, saying, we're like, yeah, pastor, pastor of a church, mm-hmm. not pastor exactly. of, like, another But then that leads me to believe maybe she wasn't part of the Wiccan religion because then why would she have a pastor? That's what I'm saying. That doesn't make sense. You're right. Number three, Nikki also admitted, this is the neighbor, that she believed the house to be haunted also and claimed that, quote, whenever I went there, I felt a horrible presence. I would leave so down and depressed, it's hard to describe. Once I was in the living room and the sort of gray mist descended down the stairs, it really scared me. Yeah. She, Sherilyn, told me on a couple of occasions, Bobby, who was such a gentle man, would suddenly come to her and his eyes would be completely dead and black like he was possessed, end quote. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. This is creepy. I have chill bumps. Yeah, the first time somebody looks at me and their eyes are dead, like they're possessed, and moving some, out of the house. And some gray mist mm-hmm. comes floating out. Yep. Did you take a steamy shower, Bobby? Because that's the only reason <laughs> yeah. I should see something steamy Right, when that bathroom door yeah. opens. Yeah, and number four, recently, Bobby asked the preacher if he knew where Bobby could find, quote, special bullets to shoot the spirits. Didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, didn't either. So, could it be something like this? Or maybe, Maggie, the explanation for their deaths could be linked back to not spiritual demons, but to their own inner demons. Could either Sherilyn's or Bobby's depression, and you mentioned this at the beginning, have been so extreme that it led one of them to commit this murder-suicide? That's true. I mean, that kind of could explain why, like, the all their stuff was left in the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Because you won't need it. Yeah. It would explain this 11-page letter. True. Kind of right? like a suicide note. It would explain why the gun isn't there. But here's the biggest thing that you'd have to explain, if that is the reason. Why was the murder weapon never found? Because you can't hide a gun... After you've committed suicide. And that brown suitcase. Right. You can't commit suicide and then hide the gun that you've used. Unless you come back as a spirit. Didn't even think about that. Could be. Yeah. Could be. So, Maggie, which theory do you think makes the most sense to you? Or maybe not makes the most sense, but you're more inclined to believe. I think the white supremacists 
mm-hmm. story. Well, because there's that anonymous woman. Yeah, that that the anonymous woman was what really sold me on that one, and I think it would explain why their bodies were like kind of off the beaten track and laid a certain way. Mm-hmm. Well, and even though that border had an alibi, obviously, you know, he did not like other races. He made that comment, so he could have been part of that group. And then... Yeah, had ties to it and, like, had connections, so to say. Right. Yeah, I go with that one. Now, listeners, we want to hear from you. Join us on our Facebook page and tell us which theory you believe. After all, as Maggie and I always say, the more discussion there is for these cases, the more potential there is for finding answers. In Graham Noble's article, the Latimer County Sheriff told reporters the following... Quote, a lot of investigators would love to have as many leads as we do. The problem is they point in so many different directions. End quote. Could it be murder-suicide? A hitman hired by Bob Sr.? A family who wandered a bit too far and got lost? A drug deal gone bad? A situation of stumbling upon a meth lab and witnessing something they shouldn't have? A curse? A demon possession? Just like the cause of their disappearance, the cause of the deaths of Bobby, Sherilyn, and Madison are equally inconclusive. Sherilyn's friend Nikki urged, quote, I would give anything to find out the truth, and I don't think this is over. But I've spent so much time searching, I just don't know where else to look, end quote. Anyone with any information to help guide law enforcement, as well as Nikki, in that future search is asked to contact the Latimer County Sheriff's Department at 918-465-2161. Let's just hope, as I do, that the answers are in this world and not the supernatural one. Either way, I have a sneaking suspicion that I won't be getting much sleep tonight. Again, please like and join our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Twitter at Cases Coffee, on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast, or you can always email us suggestions to coffeeandcasespodcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll We'll see see you you next week. week.